This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Progressive, The Colbert Report, The Green News Report, The Young Turks, The Onion Radio News, The Rachel Maddow Show, Democracy Now!, and The David Pakman Show with a bonus video clip for our Apple iOS and Android app users from The Young Turks. Even as smoke was still billowing out of the Fukushima nuclear plant on Wednesday, and even as Japan's nuclear safety agency admitted that radioactivity in the sea was more than 3,000 times the safe limit, and even as Greenpeace was reporting that a town outside the evacuation zone had dangerous levels of radioactivity, there was President Obama carrying on about the need to go forward with safe nuclear energy in America. He's almost as bad as the nuclear power industry itself, which, perhaps not coincidentally, gave a lot of money to his presidential campaign. Look, there's no such thing as safe nuclear energy. As Fukushima and Chernobyl should have amply demonstrated by now, the downside risk of nuclear energy is so great that every country ought to be mothballing these plants. That risk includes the kind of disaster we're witnessing today, an enormous waste storage problem, and a deadly nuclear proliferation problem. These are disasters cubed. And when President Obama tries to gloss over them by repeating the word safe and by saying we need nuclear energy to prevent climate change, he's engaging in sophistry. Fukushima sure isn't helping the environment any. We need to get off nukes, we need to get off oil, we need to get off coal now. Time is a-wasting, so is the planet. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. They say to know the past is to know about the future. But the past gone by too fast, we've become another creature. Pouring that poison into the air. Big hole in the sky up there. You got the power to change. You got the tools in hand to make a rearrange. Black smoke that had been seen earlier at the number three reactor has now stopped. White smoke has been seen coming from the number two reactor. What is that black smoke and what does it mean? It either means the reactor has gone critical or they've elected a new pope. Which is good because it looks like the old one is melting down. Remember, folks, to help Japan, go to redcross.org or you can instantly donate $10 by texting one word, Red Cross, to 90999. But be careful when sending that text. The autocorrect feature on some iPhones, and this is true changes the word Red Cross to the word reactors. In, in which case, in which case, I believe all the money goes directly to the radioactive leak. And folks, that leak might need the cash because at least here in America, radioactivity is suddenly under attack. Jim? President Obama has ordered the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to review the safety of all 104 nuclear power plants here in the United States. We have to be enormously careful about any future plants. With the drama in Japan still unfolding, many questions about this country's nuclear power systems are being asked. Just how safe is it? Hey, it's as safe as any other energy source. Last year we had the BP oil spill, the Massey coal mine collapse, and let's say a windmill robbed a bank. But some leaders, but some leaders, yeah, these people, 
These people know the dangers. But some leaders out there are keeping cool, and they bring us to tonight's word. Overreactor. Republican Senator Mitch McConnell knows it's a mistake to act in the heat of a crisis. I don't think right after a major environmental catastrophe is a very good time to be making American domestic policy. Exactly. Right after a major environmental catastrophe is not the time to try to prevent a future environmental catastrophe. <laughs> and luckily, McConnell is not alone. International watchdogs, when it comes to nuclear, were saying, please, this is not the time to be making those kinds of statements. This is not the time to be debating its safety. Now's not the time, I don't think, to, to pit one energy source against the other. No, we have to love our energy sources equally. They're like our children. Now, our emotions, folks, our emotions are running too high right now. Right now, we're like a wife who just walked in on her husband banging his secretary on the coffee table. Our immediate reaction would to do something rash, like demand a divorce. We, we just need to stay calm and keep breathing. And we somehow need to find the courage to do nothing. Just like after the BP oil spill, some wanted to ban offshore drilling. Thankfully, oilier heads prevailed. Does this accident in the Gulf change your mind at all about the wisdom of offshore drilling. No, it doesn't. If you're saying, do I think that we ought to suspend any additional offshore domestic exploration while we get to the bottom of this incident, uh, I, 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 I ask why. That's not solving the problem. Pointing fingers and blame. Now's not the time to do that. Yes, now is not the time to do anything. You have to wait until there isn't an oil spill in the Gulf to address oil spills in the Gulf. You know, maybe Maybe we could do it now. It's been a year. I mean, there's no spill this week, right? Oil is washing up in Louisiana, and no one knows where it's coming from. A layer of sheen and oil thick like peanut butter. Oh, my mistake. Uh, so we clearly can't touch that subject for another year. But folks, the point is, whenever, whenever something terrible happens, only in the far, far distant future will we achieve the calm perspective to say, why are we worried about this? It hasn't happened in years. And some later day, and some later day will come, folks. Some later day will come where we can debate nuclear energy, but not until the radioactive contamination is gone. And that should be, let's see. So we got the half-life of cesium and strontium-90. Factor in the reign of Tobor, the claw-hammered cave god. Let's see. All right, that should be 10,000 years. Then, I am sure, at that time, but folks... Then, at that time, I'm sure Senator McConnell would be happy to reserve a hearing room. But now is not the time.
President Barack Obama, in a speech on Wednesday, outlined his new blueprint for a secure energy future, calling for increases in clean energy investment and reducing fossil fuel use. We cannot keep going from shock when gas prices go up to trance when they go back down. The president again called for more electric cars, more biofuels, better gas mileage, and, of course, more nuclear power, even in the wake of the Fukushima nuclear crisis. But the president also proposed cutting U.S. oil imports by a third over 10 years by increasing domestic offshore oil drilling, saying, as you heard earlier, that offshore drilling is now much, much safer in the United States. But in an exclusive report, the Rachel Maddow Show on MSNBC reports that the first company to get a new offshore drilling permit hasn't updated its oil spill response plan since 2009, before the BP oil disaster in the Gulf. Under the Freedom of Information Act, we got a copy of the oil spill response plan for the first deepwater permit issued by the Obama administration since the BP disaster. It's for a well whose largest owner, I still love this, is BP. The well operator is Noble Energy. And this is their oil spill response plan for a permit that was issued last month. Their oil spill response plan is dated September 2009. Eight months before the Deepwater Horizon disaster. Whatever lessons we learn from that disaster, you will not find them in here. Not unless you can bend the space-time continuum. Maddow also reports that the drilling industry is using the same blowout preventers that failed to prevent a blowout in the BP oil disaster, even though the government's own investigation shows all blowout preventers are vulnerable to the same failure and need to be completely redesigned. And what was it Barack Obama was telling us just yesterday in his energy speech? If you're going to drill in deep water, you've got to prove before you start drilling that you can actually contain an underwater spill. That's just common sense. Just common sense. How do we square that circle, Desi Doyen? You got me. Meanwhile, a new study shows that the U.S. has now slipped to third in the global clean energy race. We're number three. A new study shows that China is now first in funding clean energy technology and luring away U.S. clean tech companies because the Chinese government investment is nearly double that of the U.S. The U.S. has also fallen to third behind China and Germany now in installation of solar and wind power as well. I'm gonna buckle my belt around the ceiling pipe One gonna buckle my knees and one gonna lock them up tight One will hold the pen while you drag my arm across the page One gonna hold my memory, another gonna close the door One gonna leave me restless, another wanting more You're gonna keep my soul, it was yours that long ago Translution, you remember the people who screwed up Deepwater Horizon? Uh, 11 people killed, uh, you know, the worst uh, environmental disaster of our lifetimes. Well, uh, they got a little problem on their hands because they want to pay their executives uh, bonuses. But they had a little safety problem. So, they put out a, a press release, uh, or I should say actually a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission uh, that says, no, 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 it's no problem at all. Uh, here, I'm going to give you two awesome quotes from it. First one, they say, Notwithstanding the tragic loss of life in the Gulf of Mexico, we achieved an exemplary statistical safety record as measured by our total recordable incident rate and total potential severity rate. Notwithstanding what happened in the Gulf of Mexico, you had a good safety record? 
Yeah, notwithstanding the six nuclear reactors that might melt down in Japan, Japan's nuclear industry has had a spectacular record this year. Notwithstanding the fact that he was deposed, Mubarak had a lovely year in Egypt this year. Notwithstanding the fact that he was fired from his show and is a raving lunatic, Charlie Sheen has had a wonderful PR year this year. What do you mean notwithstanding the Gulf of Mexico disaster, we've had a good safety record? They don't care. They're shameless. They want the money, Lebowski. They got to get paid. They got to get their bonuses. And they don't care how big the lie is. It continues. They said, as measured by these standards, we recorded the best year in safety performance in our company's history, which is a reflection on our commitment to achieving an incident-free environment all the time, everywhere. Incident-free? How about the largest incident we've ever had? The best year in safety performance? And we're not talking about a different year. We're talking about the year the Transocean blew up the deep water horizon. 11 people dead, let alone the enormous environmental catastrophe. And these guys are bragging about their safety record in order to get their bonuses. It's grotesque, man. And there is no thing that they will that they won't sink to to get paid they like these people who are expecting well you know the corporations will do the right thing I mean they're good corp they're good citizens and 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 I'm sure that they'll you know uh, do whatever is necessary for the community my ass they do whatever is necessary to get paid man <laughs> I'm amazed by that by the way BP uh, asking uh, to resume drilling in the Gulf of Mexico speaking of shameless they're like what 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 did something happen no, we got a lot of trills over there. We got to keep drilling, man. You, you want one more thing about that? Ken Salazar, uh, he's uh, of course the Interior Secretary. When uh, the Obama administration decided to resume drilling in the Gulf of Mexico, which happened recently, he when they asked him about uh, safety precautions to make sure something like Deepwater Horizon doesn't happen again, that he he they, he said, well, it's a work in progress. You know what that means? That means they haven't solved it at all, and that if they have another similar accident. It's going to spill just like it did before. Work in progress. Now, BP is asking to do the drilling again in the Gulf of Mexico. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. It's the Onion Radio News. Shell Oil executives announce a pro-environmental move with a straight face. This is Doyle Redland reporting. 
The 300,000-ton oil tanker Shell Global Explorer, which sank off the coast of Newfoundland last month, will now provide a welcome habitat for many species of endangered marine life. Shell CEO Stephen L. Miller, without a trace of irony. At Shell, we're proud to use our multi-billion dollar globe-spanning resources to aid a worthy environmental cause. Last September, after the Shell tanker suffered an explosion which tore through its overloaded crude oil tanks, Shell Public Relations officials officials were touting its potential as an artificial habitat, often while looking straight into reporters' eyes with apparent sincerity. Doyle Redland for the Onion Radio News, online at the Onion. Someone singing me lies, like sweet lullabies, there's evil in her eyes. She wants to stop me feeling, stop me dreaming, when the sun in the sky is hiding so shy, a sign I recognize. She wants to stop me feeling, stop me dreaming. Days of sunrise and sunset pass In a flickering instant from present to past And I never see the sun in the sky We go searching from lower to so high Almost a year to the day after his company unleashed environmental Armageddon on the Gulf of Mexico, BP's Swedish chairman has given a remarkable interview reflecting on the disaster. His reaction one year later, quote, halting deepwater drilling doesn't feel like a logical conclusion to this. 50,000 holes have been drilled in the Gulf of Mexico, and this was the first time things went this wrong. I mean, if you do anything 50,000 times, you're bound to screw up once, right? Who's with me? More from the BP chairman, quote, it is a burdensome road to regain the trust of the American people. The U.S. is one of the countries that reacts the loudest when something happens. The chairman of BP seems remarkably unfazed by what his company wrought in the Gulf just a year ago. Uh, this may be the reason why. These are BP's profits. That's $4.3 billion in the last quarter of 2009, all the way up to $5.6 billion in the last quarter of 2010. That thing right there in the middle, uh, that's just one of their holes in the Gulf of Mexico that had a little bit of a problem. No big deal. BP has been doing great since the big Gulf disaster. Thank you very much. So much so that they are now trying to get back in. They have a new permit to drill pending before U.S. regulators right now. They have been busy buying stakes in other Gulf oil fields in the meantime. BP, of course, is just one of three companies that were involved in that catastrophic spill last year. How are the other two companies doing? Also pretty great. Transocean, who operated the rig that blew up and sank last year, they are already back in business in the Gulf. Of the first 10 post-BP deepwater drilling permits granted by the government, four of the 10 will be drilled by Transocean rigs. Almost half of the new post-BP disaster wells will be drilled by the same guys whose rig blew up and caused the BP disaster less than a year ago. The third company involved in all this was Halliburton. They cemented the well. That did not hold. That blew up. That killed 11 men. That spewed for months into the Gulf. How's Halliburton done since then? Pretty great. In the year since their failed cement job led to that blowout, Halliburton's profits have more than doubled. In the first quarter last year, before the blowout, they banked $206 million profit. The first quarter of this year, $511 million profit. And like Transocean, they are right back at work in the Gulf. The company's chief exec is now bragging they have won 30% of the drilling service contracts and 40% of the well work contracts for the permits that have been handed out by the government so far. Tomorrow, April 20th, marks one year since the big BP Transocean Halliburton oil disaster. And a year out from that disaster, which was specifically the fault of those three companies, it's really full speed ahead for all of them. 
And it's not just those three companies, it's really full speed ahead for the entire oil industry. Heading into today, the federal government had granted 10 new post-BP permits to deep water drill in the Gulf of Mexico. And they did that even though they are still not done figuring out what went wrong in the BP disaster. The investigation is not complete. The results we have thus far indicate that the crucial piece of safety equipment known as the blowout preventer does not work. And yet, the federal government is handing out new permits anyway, while they acknowledge publicly that they haven't quite figured it all out yet, and they're pretty sure new safety rules are necessary. More change will surely come, although not at the frantic pace of the past year. It will address weaknesses and necessary improvements to blowout preventers, as well as many other issues. That was the top oil regulator in the country, Michael Bromwich, uh, saying in a speech today that more rules are needed, more rules are coming, but you know, later. Why later? In part, so the government can consult with the oil industry, he says, to make sure they are comfortable with all of these new rules. A year out from the BP disaster, not only are permits going out again before the new safety rules are in place, but the regulators in charge of the permitting are bending over backwards to talk about how much these new rules will be guided by the industry, how much the oil industry will be consulted on all this. We don't want to make them do anything they don't want to do. Mr. Bromwich cited by name today the newly formed Center for Offshore Safety. He said the Center for Offshore Safety will provide the basis for new regulations going forward. Who is this Center for Offshore Safety? Is this some disinterested group of experts? Actually the opposite. It is a project of the American Petroleum Institute. The industry, the industry's trade group. So the industry will tell the government which rules they think should be in place and which rules should not. Because clearly they know what they're doing. The role of the government when it comes to regulation is not to make sure the industry gets its needs met. It is not to make sure all the new rules are cool with them. The oil industry is not some struggling industry. Even after the BP disaster, BP is still the fourth most profitable company in the world right now. The role of the government here, the role of government regulators here is to take care of us not to take care of them, to protect us humans from what the industry is doing in order to make all of its obscene profit. Right now, a year out from the BP disaster, the regulators are very, very well attuned to the industry's sensitivities. But what about ours? The government was super excited to announce the first 10 permits that they gave out since the BP disaster. It seemed like they thought everybody would be psyched about that. But what those announcements turned into was people looking really closely at those new permits and being sort of oogged out by what they found. Oil spill response plans that date from before the BP oil disaster? Really? All of that digging led to a raft of negative press coverage that seemed to catch the permitting agency completely off guard. I'm sure the oil industry had told them how delighted everybody would be by these new drilling permits. Quel horror that there are interests here other than the industries. The government seemed to not be prepared for that. After a less than glowing reaction to the first 10 permits, this drilling permits agency, who again, is there to protect us, the public, the Gulf. They say they will no longer announce to us, the public when they hand out any more new permits. No more press releases. No more public chest beating about how proud they are to be issuing permits again. No more nothing. Today, through all sorts of sleuthing on their website, we were able to find there that they have now approved an 11th new permit to drill in the Gulf of Mexico, this one to shell oil. You really have to dig and snoop around in order to find it, but it is there. There will be no more public announcements about new drilling post-BP. But you know what? There's already 50,000 holes in the Gulf of Mexico, so who's really going to care about one more? You cut me down to size and
A year ago Wednesday, the Deepwater Horizon exploded in the Gulf from a combination of human and mechanical errors, killing 11 men, a tragic preventable death toll that would ultimately be eclipsed when, two days later, on the 40th anniversary of Earth Day, the Deepwater Horizon rig sank into the deep. We didn't know then it was the beginning of the worst offshore oil spill in our nation's history. It would ultimately take 87 days to cap the well. Here's our not-at-all fond look back at just some of what we heard over those 87 days they were just they were screaming you know fire 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 this is not a drill the tragedy unfolding on our coast is the most painful and powerful reminder yet that the time to embrace a clean energy future is now there's no one who wants this thing over more than i do you know i'd like my life back even if we contain the well and even if the well is capped in mid-August, there's still a significant amount of oil out there. And that's where I believe the market system works. Nobody's got more to lose in this deal than BP. Today, engineers made a second attempt using a much smaller device called the Top Hat. <laughs> if that one doesn't work, next they will go to the race car, the iron, and the tiny dog. Yeah, BP actually uh, forgot to mention hurricanes or tropical storms in their uh, spill response plan. And uh, as we know, they do have plans to evacuate walruses from the Gulf of Mexico, which have not lived there in three million years. And it's unfortunate that walruses were included. It's an embarrassment that they were included. BP's contingency plans were inadequate. We were making it up day to day. I hear comments sometimes that large oil companies are, are greedy companies or don't care. But that is not the case in BP. We care about the small people. Oh, they gave up on getting the oil out of the water a long time ago. Now the challenge is to get the water and all the dead shrimp and stuff out of the oil. I do not want to live in a country where any time a citizen or a corporation does something that is legitimately wrong is subject to a shakedown. So I apologize. And my job is to make sure that we live up to this responsibility, and that we keep up our efforts until the environment is clean, polluters are held accountable, businesses and communities are made whole, and the people of the Gulf Coast are back on their feet. How long should I care? Years. Years? years? I have to care about this for years? And here we are one year later, the aftermath by the numbers. The number of oil spill bills introduced in Congress, 110. The number of oil spill bills passed, zero. The amount pledged by BP to victims of the spill, 20 billion. The amount of claims paid out so far, 3.8 billion. The number of new offshore drilling permits approved since the moratorium was lifted, 10. The number of offshore drilling companies that have tested their new systems in actual ocean conditions, zero. The number of bills introduced by Republicans to speed up offshore permitting, four. 
including a bill that will automatically approve a permit application, even if the government hasn't had time to look at it yet. But never let it be said that we here at the Green News Report are not fair and balanced. This clip from the American Petroleum Institute in 1960, letting us know that these sorts of oil spills aren't really that much of a problem after all. The test oysters showed no ill effects from oil, even under conditions which far exceeded those ever present during oil production. They never had it so good. So there you go, Des. Why all the worry? This is, of course, the first year anniversary of the BP oil uh, disaster. Obviously, there was an explosion, killed 11 people, and then uh, the worst environmental uh, oil spill of our, uh, not just our lifetime, but uh, in United States history, of course. Uh, And since then, what has happened? Well, apparently nothing. There was an oil spill commission. They uh, suggested that we do comprehensive energy policy, improve safety, and protect the environment. So far, of all their suggestions, uh, absolutely none of them have been implemented. Zero. Uh, When uh, you talk about uh, liability for these kind of spills, because we saw it creates tremendous uh, liability, and if somebody, if the companies don't pay for it, we pay for it, right? Well, have they removed the cap on liability of just $75 million? Nope. They have not removed it. So if one of the smaller companies, and there are about half a dozen small companies who do drill, relatively small, obviously, in the Gulf of Mexico, if they had a disaster like BP, they couldn't pay for it. And they just simply declare bankruptcy and go, sad day for you. I have a $75 million cap on liability, and I'm done. Now the American taxpayer pays for the rest of it. Privatize the gains, socialize the losses. That's how it works. So did that get fixed? Nope. Uh, how about... Uh, the idea of uh, introducing legislation. Well, the Democrats did introduce some legislation. Of course, it was filibustered and killed in the Senate by the Republicans. But don't worry, now that the Republicans are in office, uh, they have introduced three pieces of legislation. Putting the Gulf Back to Work Act, Restarting American Offshore Leasing Now Act, and Reversing President Obama's Offshore Moratorium Act. Every single one of those removes regulation does not add regulation or protection. Apparently they think we had too much protection, too much regulation uh, of the oil industry, and that we would be better off if we remove that regulation and let them drill without any safety precautions. Not without any, but with less safety precautions. Now we already had those safety precautions and they proved obviously not ample enough. Republicans don't give a damn. They want more drilling. In fact, the president has already authorized 10 more deep water drilling uh, expeditions in the Gulf of Mexico and 46 shallow water uh, expeditions. Uh, and uh, those wells are going to continue straight ahead. Okay. Now, I said uh, back when the president came out a little over a year ago and said that he would expand offshore drilling. What did I tell him? As I tell it, say it all the time, don't agree with the Republicans. They will use it against you. And certainly you shouldn't agree with the Republicans 
unless you get something back, these preemptive concessions are a disastrous idea. And three weeks after the president announced it, we had the explosion on Deepwater Horizon by BP, Transocean, etc. Now, just in case you don't believe me that I said that, let's go to the videotape. This is after the president made his announcement, three weeks before the BP disaster. Uh, let's watch clip number five. And what he's decided to do is that he's going to open up offshore areas to oil drilling. So opening up large chunks of the Atlantic coastline, the eastern Gulf of Mexico, and the north coast of Alaska to oil and natural gas drilling. Genius move. Now, why is this a terrible idea? And then I went on to explain why it was a terrible idea. And remember, that was three weeks before the BP disaster. Okay? Now, in another part of that explanation, here's why I explain why you shouldn't compromise. Clip number six. Why do I think it's a terrible idea then? Because this is not the second or third compromise. This is the 128th compromise in a row. It's weeks of weakness. That's how Obama enters every single debate. Now remember, that was over a year ago, and since then what's happened? Obama has compromised on tax cuts. In fact, it wasn't a compromise, he gave them exactly what they wanted in tax cuts. And now you see Michelle Bachman say, well, we didn't want the tax cuts. Obama wanted the tax cuts for the rich. So they did offshore drilling, Obama's decision was to go offshore drilling. He's at fault for BP, but by the way, we'd still like to do more offshore drilling. And why is that a bad idea? I continue to explain. Clip number seven. But this is the main thing they wanted. Why would you give this up at the beginning of the process? It's crazy. The environmentalists and some uh, journalists are saying baffling, shocking. Why? <laughs> Somebody wrote, what am I missing here? Well, it turns out we weren't missing anything. We were right. The Obama administration was wrong. Now, so when I tell you that you know, I'm afraid how these next budget negotiations are going to go. It's based on an enormous, vast treasure of experience that we've unfortunately gotten with the Obama administration. Whether it was the offshore drilling, or it was those tax cuts, or it was the latest budget negotiations where the Republicans initially asked for $32 billion and then got $38.5 billion worth of cuts. It happens every single time. Has the president finally learned his lesson? Who knows? And is this really about lessons? Probably not, okay? The reality is these guys, these oil companies, spend a tremendous amount of money lobbying our politicians. Now, yes, it mainly goes to Republicans, but it definitely goes to Democrats like Mary Landrieu as well. But let me give you the overall numbers. The oil and gas industry spent $146 million lobbying Capitol Hill. That was just in 2010, one year. And that's not all. They also spent... 28 million dollars directly on federal campaigns and that's according to the Center for Responsive Politics so why do we have these policies that make no sense that after a gigantic disaster like BP we actually loosen regulations and you know what you need right now uh, if uh, there's a blowout what we're what's supposed to protect us the same blowout preventers that didn't work the last time in fact you're it's great scientific evidence that they have a design flaw and that they don't work over half the time. And when they ask Ken Salazar, the Interior Secretary for uh, the Obama administration, hey, you're giving away all these new drilling permits, you're letting them drill, have we fixed anything? 
and can we, you know, make sure that this won't happen again? He said, well, it's a work in progress. That means, hell no, we didn't fix it. And if it blows up, the same exact thing is going to happen. Because our politicians get greased. By the way, BP is back to donating. Before, they took a little moratorium. They're like, oh, let's take it easy for a little while. Now they're right back in the game. And who are they giving to? In this case, exclusive to, to Republicans. Speaker John Boehner gets a check. House Majority Whip Kevin McCarthy gets a check. Um, National Republican Congressional Committee gets a check. National Republican Senatorial Committee gets a check. Fred Upton, who was, is the head of the Energy Committee, got a check. But to be fair to Fred Upton, he actually returned it. Whoa, well, you look at that. He thought, and by the way, he takes an enormous amount of money from the Koch brothers and all the other energy and, and oil and gas industries. He just was smart enough to say, BP, well, that's probably not smart taking it. But the rest of them were like, give me, give me, give me, give me. Boehner's like, yeah, of course I'll take BP's money. We do their bidding anyway. We might, might as well get paid for it. And in fact, the National Republican Senatorial Committee's spokesperson, Brian Walsh, was the most uh, honest about it. He said, quote, we appreciate the support of all of our donors. I bet you do. And that's why BP is back in business. And in fact, the first uh, permit given out was to a company half-owned by BP after the moratorium was lifted. So they're right back to doing exactly what they were doing before with no real changes, no real fixes. So if there's another accident, there'll be another disaster. Welcome to America. Welcome to paradise. Gunshot rings out at the station Another urchin snaps and left it on his own It makes me wonder why I'm still here Both subtrain dreams are hits now Feeling like I am And I'm never gonna go And we end with Bill McKibben, founder of 350.org. He addressed the Young Climate Activist Saturday night at the Power Shift 2011 conference here in D.C. His latest book is called Earth, Making a Life on a Tough New Planet. The science is the easy part of this. Grim, but easy. 2010 was the warmest year on record, and it was warm. We were on the phone one day with our 350 crew in Pakistan, and one of them said, it's hot here today. And I was surprised to hear him say it, because it's usually hot in Pakistan in the summer. And he said, no, it's really hot. We just set the new all-time Asia temperature record, 129 degrees. That kind of heat melts the Arctic. That kind of heat causes drought so deep across Russia that the Kremlin stops all green export. That kind of heat causes the flooding that still has four million people across Pakistan homeless tonight. But if the scientific, if the scientific method has worked splendidly to outline our dilemma, that's how badly the political method has worked to solve it. Think about our own country, historically the biggest source of carbon emissions. Last summer, the Senate refused to even take a vote on the tepid, moderate, tame climate bill that was before it. 
Last week, the House voted 248 to 174 to pass a resolution saying global warming wasn't real. It was one of the most embarrassing votes that Congress has ever taken. They believe... They believe that because they can amend the tax laws, they can amend the laws of nature too. But they can't. I'm awful glad a few of you went up to the visitor's gallery to talk some sense to them last week. Even, even the White House, two weeks ago, the Interior Secretary, who spoke here two years ago, Ken Salazar, signed a piece of paper opening 750 million tons of coal under federal land in Wyoming to mining. That's like opening 300 new coal-fired power plants and running them for a year. That's a disgrace. You know what? At Copenhagen, we got 117 nations to sign on to that 350 target. That was good but they were the wrong 117 nations. They were the poorest and most vulnerable nations, the most addicted nations, led by our own, weren't yet willing to bite the bullet, so that's where we've got to go to work. Bill McKibben, author of Earth, Making a Life on a Tough New Planet, and founder of 350.org. 350 is the parts per million many scientists say is the upper limit for carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We're now at 391. So let's presuppose for a moment that you actually enjoy this show. Now, if that's true, please consider supporting it with a $5 monthly membership. I actually quit my job as a climate activist to pursue this show full-time because this is where I felt like my talents could best be put to use and I could have the biggest impact on the world. But I really need your support to keep going. I produce 10 shows a month of fearless coverage on all the hot-button issues we face, maintaining a rock-solid schedule posting shows at least every third day. So if all that is worth 5 bucks a month or as little as $55, a year, a little discount for you, please consider signing up for a membership at bestoftheleft.com. Members even receive bonus audio and video content on top of the rest that doesn't make it into the final cut of the show. So please, again, check out the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Remember ClimateGate, Lewis, the, uh, probably about a year, year and a half ago, could be even longer at this point. The, there was the accusation made by a lot of those who don't believe that there is a climate change issue or the anti-global glo- warming cloud, uh, anti-global warming crowd, that is. Not the cloud, the crowd. Not the cloud. Um, they would make this argument that there, there were these scientists who specifically manipulated data in uh, temperature data to make it appear as though there was more of a climate change issue than there was. Now, if you have been paying attention to the corporate media story that has been told, you would have absolutely no idea that ClimateGate was debunked. No idea. However, it was. Yet, we are still hearing, Lewis, when right-wing media and talking points and pundits talk about climate change, they still prefer to, hey, what about climate gate? Remember? That proves that climate change is in some way not a real concern. Why would they think that? Well, because nobody has been reporting on the fact that it has been completely debunked. 
No real surprise, right? It's not really an exciting story. All this time, people are ambushing Al Gore, saying, what do you think about Climate Gate? It's kind of a boring story to come out and say, yeah, all those uh, ambushes, all the ambushes, all of the debates where we had someone from the right just basically saying, Climate Gate, Climate Gate, Climate Gate, yeah, it's been debunked. Not a fun story. No, it is a, it's a boring story, but I mean, what are we talking about? Responsibility in media? Yeah, oh, there's none, obviously. What else is new? Lewis is the only responsible media producer that is left at this point, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not making that claim, but, <laughs> but I'm flattered, Dave. Thank you. So the, the official inquiries, I'll just tell you the story. You know, we didn't do a good, we alluded to the fact that it had been debunked, but we didn't do a good, a as do, do as good a job of it as we should have either. So there were a number of inquiries into the conduct of these scientists that a lot of people alleged were falsifying data. Conservatives loved referencing it. And all of the months of research into this, all of the months of accusations from the right-wing media, none of it, none of it undermined global warming science. Okay? And it just was not interesting to the mainstream corporate media. Not a word of it on Fox News. Okay? The initial claim was uh, scientists fudged the numbers, they hid temperature declines because, hey, if they publish numbers saying temperatures went down, obviously there's no climate change, even though even that at face value is absurd. Okay? Countless investigations into this. A UK investigation shows no evidence that CRU scientists had tampered with data. An independent panel, no evidence of any deliberate scientific malpractice. Penn State, no credible evidence that anyone engaged in or participated in any actions with an intent to suppress or falsify data. 29 prominent scientists in the U.S. emails, quote, had no impact whatsoever on our overall understanding that human activity is driving dangerous levels of global warming. The AAAS. Emails should not cause policymakers and the public to become confused about the scientific basis of global climate change. Well, let me tell you, confusion is exactly the goal of those who refer to these emails, is it not, Lewis? Let's confuse and muddle as much as possible and make people think, well, if I believe that the scientists manipulated some data, then clearly we don't even need to think about climate change. Confusion is the goal. Maybe. But why, of all the people who claim that uh, climate change is a scam, yeah. why do they never have a good reason for why someone would try to scam people into believing? Oh, there's, that, a, there's a number of reasons. Well, Al, Gore, Al Gore is making money on it. Uh, it's being used as an excuse to put in a lot of government money into so-called green energy. It's an excuse to give liberals That's money. That's a bad thing, no. There's, uh, there's, there's no shortage, Lewis, of theories about why liberals or progressives would want to push a theory that is false. There's, we can come up with theories day and night. And the scientists who make these claims, who it would, it would seem have... Oh, they're paid off. Oh, of course. Yeah, okay. they've been paid. All right been paid by the people who aren't getting any money yet <laughs> from this so-called scam. It's all a big, it's a long-term scam, Lewis. Nature Magazine, nothing in the emails undermines the scientific case that global warming is real. And factcheck.org, this is the most important statement, really. Even if the emails showed what the critics claim, there still remains ample evidence 
that climate change is an issue, that the earth is getting warmer. So, again, and from here on out, ladies and gentlemen, when you hear the right-wingers, the anti-science crowd, which about 75% of the uh, of Senate Republicans fall into, say, climate gate, the scientists falsified data. Just because the story was completely ignored by the mainstream corporate media, you remember, because you heard it here, that the entire climate gate thing has been debunked. Please, just remember that, because you will hear the right-wingers cite it. But in defense of the corporate mainstream media, like we stated before, it's a very boring story. Lewis, that's not, that's not a defense. of that's, That only confirms how corrupt and infotainment-centered they are. That, that's not a defense of the of, uh, mainstream corporate media. It's the only way these, these companies are going to stay afloat. Oh, so you feel bad for them. No, I don't feel bad for them. Oh, uh, a corporate media, don't cover real news, producer Lewis is saying, because you would lose money because people would be bored. I don't expect <laughs> them to cover real news. A lot of people don't want to hear it. All right. Am I right? Yeah, you know, you're right, but it's like you're giving them a pass. I'm not saying there should be no responsibility. I'm just saying... It's what you expect. It's what I expect. All right. Well, there it is. You've heard it from Lewis first, and uh, and that that's that. Um, this is Tim DeChristopher. I'm right outside of the Department of the Interior Building in Washington, D.C. Um, there's about um, 400 people, 300 people maybe on the steps of the building, and then um, at least another 50 or so people inside the building that have locked arms, um, and the police have kind of given their final warning and locked the doors of the building um, and uh, have said that they're going to arrest the 50 people that are inside. Uh, this was... Um, at the very end of the PowerShip conference this weekend, where there were 10,000 young people in Washington, D.C., um, to, to demand a, a clean energy future. And um, this was the, kind of the, the culmination of that, um, targeting the Department of the Interior, who greenlights mountaintop removal. They greenlight um, deep water oil drilling and, and help cause the, the Gulf oil spill. And now they're greenlighting massive new coal development in Wyoming in the Powder River Basin. And uh, the young people inside have said that they've had enough of that and they don't have the uh, corporate campaign contributions um, to, uh, to, to battle in other ways against the, uh, the fossil fuel industry, um, but they have the commitment to, to take a stand here. And so that's exactly what they're doing. What's the reaction from onlookers in the building? Um, I think people were, were surprised. Um, there, there wasn't much of a, a presence here when we got here. Um, this was a spontaneous march that split off from uh, a larger march uh, from the PowerShift conference. Can you tell me briefly what is PowerShift and what's taking place at the conference and who's represented there? Um, PowerShift is a, a youth climate conference. Um, there were about 10,000 students here 
uh, all weekend long for organizing trainings, uh, workshops, uh, different speakers. There was a march today that went to the Chamber of Commerce building. It went to the BP headquarters. Um, and uh, now they're here at the Department of the Interior taking a stand. Where time itself is frozen, suspended in the air. Now the water flows on Kilimanjaro, damaging the essence of our atmosphere. Threatens our existence, Kilimanjaro. I'm Amy Goodman. We're on the road in Washington, D.C., where more than 10,000 people gathered this past week to mobilize around the issue of climate change. While tax day tea party gatherings of a few hundred scattered around the country made the news, this massive gathering, Power Shift 2011, was largely ignored by the media. Among those who spoke was Van Jones. He wrote the best-selling book, The Green Collar Economy, and he served as the green jobs advisor in the Obama White House in 2009. He addressed the Power Shift gathering here in D.C. When you get your green career, don't leave anybody behind. We have something strange happening in our economy. You notice that the wealthy people have the solar panels and the poor people have to pay the big energy bills. And people will tell you, well, that's all right. Uh, the, the, the poor people, uh, they can't afford the solar panels, Van. You, you, you can't complain about this. It's just economics. They can't afford the solar panels. How can you complain that they don't have them? <laughs> power shift. Shift the power and shift the conversation because the truth is that we can't afford for poor people not to have solar panels. The earth can't afford for poor people not to have solar panels. That's the truth. Shift the power. Shift the conversation. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I love rich folks, but they tend to live in the hills where it's shady. Poor folks tend to live in the flatlands where it's hot. <laughs> it's fine to have the solar panels on the rich folks' houses where it's shady. But how about we put some solar panels on the poor folks' houses where it's hot, so instead of them having to write uh, checks to the energy company, the energy company can write them some checks, and they can be able to put some food on the table and, and have a good life. How about that, America? Shift the power. Shift the power. You can't do anything by yourself. Your generation has to stand together. You don't know yet, but the entire planet, the children of all species are banking on you. You are the great hope. D.C. is having a bipartisan failure to rescue this economy, to rescue this planet. And while they're stuck on stupid here in D.C., 
Your generation is rising. You are the biggest generation of Americans we've ever had. The last time we had a generation your, your size even remotely was the baby boomers. And when the baby boomers came of age, they completely transformed America. When the baby boomers hit, uh, we had had 244 years of enslavement. We had had 100 years of Jim Crow segregation. And people your age, when they hit, broke the back of Jim Crow in four years and put us on the trajectory to have a black president, a generation your size did that for America. That's what a generation your size did for America. You have to make a decision not to wait your turn. Dr. King was 25 years old in Montgomery. The Freedom Riders were 19 and 20 years old. The founders themselves were in their 20s and in their 30s. You have to make a decision not to wait your turn. Don't let anybody tell you you're going to be the leaders of tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised. You must be the leaders of today, Generation Power Shift. You got to be the leaders today. Shift the power. Shift the power politically. And don't let anybody tell you that you should only hold one party in this town accountable. You have to be wise enough to hold both parties to high standards. Both parties. Hold this whole town accountable. Hold people, but keep them accountable. Because that's how you can shift the power. And don't stop there. Don't stop there. It's not just shifting power in a political sense. We need you to shift the power in our energy system. Because we have an energy system and a civilization that is powered by death. The civilization that you live in, that you were born in, is fueled by death. That's not hyperbole. Uh, why do they call them fossil fuels? Because they're living? <laughs> or because they're dead? We take oil, a substance that has been dead for 60 million years, and we pull it out of the ground. We take coal, which has been dead for 300 million years, and we dig holes to pull it out of the ground. We pull out of the ground death and we burn it in our engines, and we burn death in our power plants without ceremony. And then we act shocked when having pulled death out of the ground and burned it. We, we act shocked when we get death from the skies in the form of global warming and death on our oceans in the form of oil spills and death in our children's lungs in the form of asthma and cancer. Let's stop fueling our society based on death and start using living things. Let's start using living things now. So don't let anybody divide you. I love that we have a movement of people in America now talking about liberty. Uh, our sisters and brothers in the Tea Party. I'm glad they're talking about liberty. And we need to understand that we believe in liberty in this movement. But we're not stopping with just the first word in the Pledge of Allegiance. I love liberty. Given what's happened with my ancestors, nobody loves liberty more than I do. But the Pledge of Allegiance doesn't stop there. The Pledge of Allegiance says liberty 
and justice for all. Liberty and justice for all. And that's what your movement is about. Liberty, yes, and justice. Justice for the immigrants. Justice for the lesbians and the gays. Justice for the African Americans. Justice for women. Justice for the rural poor. Justice for the Native Americans. Liberty and justice for all. Shift the power. Shift the power. Shift the power. Shift the power. best of left this is nikolai from oakland uh in terms of podcasts for folks to check out i can't recommend highly enough wearemany.org which has radical and progressive talks on every social issue imaginable from some of the best thinkers activists across the world so for news podcasts as well and democracy now real news network free speech news are all great and for old podcasts seeing red radio and counter hegemony are just two enthralling mind-opening podcasts into a lot of thinkers that liberal media is afraid to discuss from chomsky to gramsci which leads me to a suggestion. Please discontinue playing any clips from MSNBC. The best of the left isn't about how much more of the Repubs suck than the Dems, but seeing that both are corporate parties centered on war and profit. It's hard to be a progressive voice when it seems so many of your clips have come from one of the military-industrial complexes, chief profiteers. As we just saw with Libya and in the past with the Iraq invasion, Obermann in the past and the folks today will all beat the war drum when it comes down to it. More importantly, there are more than enough grassroots independent news sources to take from and support. Finally, for a call to action, please join an anti-capitalist organization such as the International Socialist Organization. If it's imperialism abroad, union bashing at home, or environmental destruction everywhere, the only way to fight power is building grassroots movements from below. And for a great Mother's Day gift or a late Xmas or any time gift for someone, please buy a book from haymarketbooks.org. Not for charities, for your mind. I especially recommend for your listeners, The Democrats, A Critical History by Lance Selfa. It's, you know, great, and you're supporting an independent grassroots bookseller. P.S. Great music, Jay, especially to Elliot Smith and RJD2. Solidarity in the struggle, and say hi to the Patels at NLC. Peace. Hi, Jay. It's Grant from San Francisco. And I wanted to tell you most what I love about the show, which is intellectual honesty. Not actually particularly liberal, in my opinion, but I do love the fact that everything that you've got to say, and every clip you play, is based in fact. And that's exactly what we need to fight right now, is non-fact-based discussion. Anyways, here's the deal. This is an activist call to action. I'm not really concerned about what people believe, but we do care a whole lot about fact. And in 2001, a group of cats came together uh, to form what is called the Disclosure Project. Among them are hundreds of high-ranking government officials basically suggesting that clean energy technology is wrapped up in a secret, unacknowledged government special access project, just like the atom bomb was at one point, and the internet. Um, your listeners can find more information at disclosureproject.org or by YouTubing the Disclosure Project. But basically, we've got a revolution of technology at our fingertips, and we are not using it. Jay, this is Michael from Glen Burnie. 
I just finished listening to your episode on Israel. <clears throat> You've had some offensive content on your show before. You've had clips with swearing. You've had clips with graphic sexual innuendo. And usually I just let it slide because I agree with what you're doing on your show. But this time you've taken it too far and you've lost the loyal listener because of it. You've lost the loyal listener and you've lost someone that refers you to other people. My kids were in the car, Jay. They were in the car. And I want you to tell me, what am I supposed to tell them when they ask me to play Baby by Justin Bieber? Huh? Tell me. We're just going to have to part ways. Good day, sir. Good day. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. Now, I really didn't want to start making, like, a habit out of doing this, uh, but obviously today I have another apology to get to. And, you know, uh, I I do on this show a lot of things in jest. Uh, You know, a a lot of things I do are explicitly to be, you know, funny, to lighten the mood, that sort of thing. And, you know, when when walking along that line between, you know, being humorous and being inappropriate, I think I generally fall on the right side of that line um, for the most part. But now, you know, having uh, having reflected on it more deeply and, and, you know, thought about it, uh, I really I do realize that it is effectively never appropriate to play a Justin Bieber song. And um, and so I really do apologize to uh, the the countless uh, numbers of you, I'm sure, who are uh, who are offended by that. As I said, I did. I thought it would be funny. I thought it seemed appropriate at the time. But I do realize now that uh, the doing something like that can can actually have you know some pretty uh, deep and long lasting psychological issues, especially for uh, for you know sensitive populations like children. Um, so yeah, that, that was clearly a mistake, and uh, and I apologize for that. Secondly, today, I wanted to respond to the comment from the voicemailer uh, regarding MSNBC. Uh, I thought it was an interesting comment, not one that I agree with, but uh, but I see where he's coming from. I really do. And, uh, you know, but to me, this was very reminiscent of the discussion about Mumia Abu-Jamal being used on the show. And if you recall that debate, my stance on it was that I essentially don't care where a message is coming from. I only care what the message is. So, you know, for this commenter in particular, I'd be curious as to his perspective on Mumia Abu-Jamal, since he's opposed to MSNBC being used on the show. I think that'd be an interesting question. Um, but that's kind of my stance is that I don't I don't care that the comments are coming from MSNBC. I, I use those clips because I like Rachel Maddow and Cenk Huger from The Young Turks. You know, it, when, when we talk about MSNBC, those are basically the people we're talking about. Those are the only two uh, who really get used on the show. And so, um, you know, his comment was that there are other independent voices that could be used in their place. But to me, uh, you know, Rachel Maddow and, and Jank Huger are independent voices. They are grassroots uh, talk show hosts who came up from very meager beginnings. I mean, I've been a fan of both of theirs for in the neighborhood of six to seven years. 
and uh, and so I've seen them come up through the ranks of their you know very early uh, early shows. You know, I, I hadn't I didn't hear of Rachel until she was on Air America, but she started out in a, you know a local market in Massachusetts. Jank started his show in uh, in his living room and got it on Sirius Satellite Radio at the time. And they both grew to be, you know, national radio show hosts through Air America and uh, and online. And because they were good, then they rose to the top and and ended up on MSNBC. And I haven't seen their voices change at all since those early days. They really seem like the same people to me now as they were then. So until they begin to change drastically, whether due to pressures being put on by the network they're a part of or or any other reason, you know, as long as they remain who they were, then they have a place on this show. Speaking of Mumia Abu-Jamal, though, is something I should mention. Uh, his sentence has been overturned as uh, as being unconstitutional. And so just to be clear, uh, he has not been set free. It's They were not uh, discussing whether, you know, his, his guilt versus innocence. They were discussing the, the constitutionality of his sentencing. And so his, the, the death sentence has been overturned. And um, so now quoting from a uh, an article written by Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! Uh, as a result of this ruling, Abu Jamal could get a new full sentencing hearing in court before a jury. In such a hearing, the jury would be given clear instructions on how to decide between applying a sentence of life in prison versus the death penalty, something the court found he did not receive back in 1982. At best, Abu Jamal would be removed from the cruel confines of solitary confinement on Pennsylvania's death row at SCI Green. So that's uh, that's just the, an interesting update on that. It seems relevant uh, to listeners of this show. Now, finally, before I go, of course, I just want to thank a couple of members of the show. Gianya W., and I, of course, I apologize for the pronunciation of your name, uh, signed up for a uh, socialist membership, paid for a full year in advance back on January 22nd, and Troy R. signed up for a leftist membership, a monthly membership starting back on November 21st, and has stuck with the show since then. So huge thanks to Troy and Gianna and all of the members and donors who keep the show going. Of course, I couldn't do it without you. Everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it. You can help spread the word about our clips on YouTube now youtube.com slash the best of the left. You can stay connected with the show and help spread the word to your friends online by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details about the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all of that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from far outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you 11 times a month, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. It's now black and white You took apart a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who take you out in the open door This is not my life just a fond farewell to a friend It's not what I'm like